Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brewing in China podcast. My name is Joe Finkenbinder, and I am in Shenzhen, China. So I have gotten a few questions、uh, sent to me recently, and one that popped up more than、um, a couple times was people want to know how I got here to begin with. So instead of interviewing someone today, I wanted to take the time to actually explain. What brought me to China in the first place,、uh, as far as like why I wanted to come, and then how I got here, and the process of getting up to, you know, how I ended up in Shenzhen because I did not start in Shenzhen when I first came to China. Remember that if you want to contact me and you want to ask a question or something you want to know about, could be very specific, like you know licensing or how did you, you know, source equipment, something like that, or maybe a recommended guest, someone I should talk to. You can always email me at Joe. At bionicbrew.com. That's J O E at bionicbrew.com, or you can find us through our Bionic Brew, you know, Facebook or website,、uh, bionicbrew.com, something like that. So, anyways, let's get started. Are you listening? Damn. So I first came to China in 2006. Now, I didn't come here to start a brewery originally. So let's backtrack a little bit on why I wanted to come. The whole, you know, where the idea came from and and how I got here. So I started university a little bit later、uh, than most of the people I went to high school with because I、uh, had joined the army for a few years out of high school and I was able to.、Uh, Gets the、uh, GI Bill and go to school for、um, it was the older GI Bill, not the one that they have today, which is a sweet deal, but the the older one, which was a pretty good deal, but、uh, didn't really cover everything. So、um, I did end up working a good bit in college,、um, like thirty something hours a week. But the whole time I was working, I was you know I was always like meeting a lot of people and、uh, international students and. I don't know, just communicating with folks, and in, in, in both at school at the University of North Carolina、uh, Greensboro, and、uh, also where I was working, you know, in in and around the city. And this was in the early 2000s, and so for about half of my degree, I actually had gone abroad to Germany, and I studied at the University of Mannheim, and did a, a short internship at the U.S. Embassy in Berlin. Because my my second language is German, and I wanted to, I studied business, and I wanted to you know see what was going on in Germany. And、um, when I came back to the United States, I had another year to finish up classes, and then I thought you know I'll go off into the workforce. So during that last year at in Greensboro, I was China was popping up into the news a good bit. This is like two thousand late two thousand four, early two thousand five, and I was I had never been to Asia. I didn't know anybody who'd ever been to China, and. I noticed that everyone that I met, or everyone I saw on TV, news media, people like that, seemed to always have this opinion about China. They seemed to be, and these are very strong opinions. You know, they knew exactly what needed to, what they were like, and how it was, and and very very certain about it. And but when I would ask them or inquire about, you know, this person's stance, I, f- I would always find out that the per- person really had never been to China, or. You know, they went there and saw the Great Wall or something very superficial, and stayed in some hotels and left. So basically, I understood from that is they had no clue what they were talking about. And as a curious person, I am. I thought that wasn't good enough for me. 
So I decided after I graduated college, I would take a job in China and just figure out the, the country, the culture, just learn about it. So I decided to teach, and I didn't, I, I'm, I didn't really want to teach like children, so I wanted to teach at a university. So I applied to a variety of universities, and universities don't start uh, until, uh, you know, the fall. It's like September time in China, actually. And so, but I graduated in, in December of 2005. So I had, from basically the, you know, after Christmas and uh, of that year, so, you know, very beginning of 2006, all the way until uh, September to kind of just chill. I mean, I couldn't really get a a serious job that was going to only last six months. So I saved a lot of money my last year in college. I, I sold my motorcycle. You know, I really um, didn't do much so I could save lots of cash. And then I took myself on a trip to Latin America. And I had this idea of like I would start in Guatemala because I knew somebody there and, or I actually knew the son of somebody who that I had studied with in Germany and his father lived in Guatemala at the time. So I thought, okay, well, at least I'll just go to the, I'll meet this one person. He can maybe point me in the right direction. And then I had this idea of like, I'm going to go to Peru and then I'm going to go to Argentina and I'm going to study Spanish because I, I never learned Spanish in high school or anything like that, like most, uh, many of my friends had done. So I went down to Guatemala, like the very beginning of January 06. And this uh, guy lived in the jungle outside of a city called Coban. And he was really, really, really cool guy. And, and he one you know, day I'd been there about a week, I said, I'm going to go. I heard about, you know, I want to go see what's around. And do you have any recommendations or something that's like I could go to relatively easily? And he said, yeah, you should go to um, Samok Champay, which is in Lanking. And I got a friend who owns a hostel there. You know, just go stay there, say hello, and tell him I said hi. I said, okay, so I went up there and stayed there. And it was a beautiful place. It was a beautiful little village. I, I haven't been there in, in many years, but um, back then it was very quiet and there was a beautiful river and it went to Samuk Champay which is these these limestone pools that were uh, I believe it's a national heritage site it's, it's gorgeous and I had a good time there and then as one day I was talking to um, this guy at the bar about you know I was like oh well I had been bartending before in the U.S. for many many years during college and and uh, we just got to talking and he said hey man do you, do you want a job and I was like well, I, well who are you and he said well I'm actually one of the owners and I didn't know about this one I said, oh, cool. So I said, sure. So I went back to uh, Coban, where my friend's dad was, and I said, hey, man, that guy was, they were really nice people. They actually even offered me a short-term job. You know, he's like, he said, I had to do at least a month. So I said, okay, sure. I, I went up there, and I, and I thought I'd work for a month. And then I continue on my plan to Peru and Argentina. But, you know, during that month, um, it just wasn't quite long enough. And I ended up spending... I don't remember now. I think it was more like two months or more. And, you know, you're always meeting. This place that I was in was a very, it was hidden, but it was also popular. And so a lot of people were coming in and, you know, not tons. I mean, the, I think the hostel might have slept 30 or 40 people or something at the time. And they'd tell me their stories. You know, they were either coming from the south and heading north or they're starting in the north and heading south or they had been in Latin America, you know, multiple times. And I really didn't know much about Latin America. So I would just listen to people, and, and people said, oh, you should, you know, you should really, if you're going to be going down south, you should stop in Honduras. You should go scuba diving. You should start in Nicaragua. You should go to Ometepe. You should do, you know, check out these different places. And I thought, okay, well, let's go try something different. Let, instead of, like, having this strict plan that, you know, I'm going to stick to, let's just say I'm open. I'd like to learn how to scuba dive. 
I'd like to learn, you know, see a volcano in the middle of a lake. I'd like to go ch check this, these places out. So that's what I did. And after a few months, I worked my way down to Honduras, ended up spending a month in the Bay Islands, scuba diving, got, you know, all my different diving certifications and, um, uh, what was a rescue diver. And, and I, to this, this day, I'm still diving. So that was obviously a, a great sort of side trip that turned out to be something, a hobby that I've continued to this day. Ended up in Nicaragua. And then my trip got cut a little bit short. Um, I had a death in the family. Grandfather died. So I needed to return home. So I flew home and I stayed for a little while um, around around the, the farm in Pennsylvania. And then I had al always intended to be in France, uh, I believe it was July, because my girlfriend at the time was moving to France. We had studied together, and she was taking a job in uh, Lyon, and I was taking a job in China, and I said, well, we'll spend part of the summer together, and then I had this grand vision of taking, uh, traveling overland to China instead of, you know, flying like a normal person would do. So I um, went to see her. We spent some time in, in Paris, or not Paris, I'm sorry, uh, Lyon, throughout France, uh, Holland, you know, traveling around. And the time came for me to to go. So I, um, I took a short flight to um, Estonia. And then from Estonia, I pretty much just took buses and, uh, and some short trains through, like, northern Europe and uh, northern Russia and St. Petersburg, worked my way down to Moscow, and then booked uh, a ticket on the Trans-Mongolian Express. There's actually two, or at least so I'm, I know of two, maybe there's more, but one's the Trans-Siberian, the other's Trans-Mongolian. The Trans-Siberian goes, and the Trans-Mongolian are the same. The difference is the Trans-Siberian never leaves Russia. It just goes straight across to Vladivostok. But the Trans-Mongolian, once it gives above, gets above Mongolia, it goes south and it ends up in Beijing. So I was able to book that ticket and it was, you know, I didn't, I'm not the kind of guy that, that does a lot of serious planning. Uh, I don't usually book hotels in advance. I don't book a lot of tickets in advance. I, I mean, if there's a major thing that needs to happen, I'll, I'll make sure to look out for anything that could radically alter my plans. But for the most part, I wing it and I've been traveling a lot of my life, so I don't feel the need to, like, have a lonely planet, you know, tattooed to my body so I can figure out where to go. Uh, not that they're not useful. I mean, I still travel with them from time to time um, if I need the info. But so I I was able to talk to a, a girl that ran a hostel, and she helped me book a ticket on this, this, uh, this Russian girl helped me book a ticket on this train. And it was really cheap. I was surprised. It was like 260 something dollars for this five plus, five and a half, six days, something like that train ride that went from Moscow to um, to Ulaanbaatar because I didn't book in advance, so I was unable to get the take the train all the way to Beijing. I had I was forced off the train in um, uh, Hohut, which is the border town between Mongolia, which is a country, and Inner Mongolia, which is a province of China. So I booked this... Um, this ticket of a stay in Moscow for a few days and I did like no I mean this is of course the internet was around in 2006 and people used it but this is pre-smartphone this is pre-iPad this is pre things that we take for granted right now I wasn't traveling with all these devices I had a computer because I knew I needed it for work once I got to China 
but I wasn't on it every day. I mean, when you went to a hostel, when you, you, you talked to people, you, you read books, you like paper books, it was a little bit of a different time for travel. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that I got to experience it before it was gone because I showed up not knowing really anything to this train and I, I knew that I, that it that it departed you know when it at the such and such time but you didn't have a lot of time to get on the train I want to say it was like 15 or 20 minutes you had to board and I showed up with a bunch of books like I would list five or six books and uh, a bottle of vodka and a bag of oranges you know I had obviously been out late the night before in Moscow wasn't really well prepared as far as uh, as, as much as I should have been you know, I was 26. I didn't care. I was like, what? You know, no, actually, I was 25. Um, I was like, it, you know, well, it'll, it'll work itself out. So when I showed up, uh, there's long train, and there's this one train car that really kind of grouped a lot of the foreigners together. So almost every, if you've never been on a, uh, one of these sleeper trains, there's four bunks in them, at least in the European, Russian ones. There's Sometimes in China and stuff, there's six, but in these ones, there's four bunks, and you know, there's basically the bottom two people can sit on, and and then in the top two, you would flip out the um, the beds when you want to sleep, and you can just hang out up there. So, I've got my train ticket. I'm walking through the aisleway on the inside. I'm looking for my car, and uh, not my car, I guess my my bunk or whatever it's called. And I noticed that, you know, I've passed all the foreigners at this point, all the, and uh, all the backpacker types. And I get to my, my uh, room, my bunk, and there are these, what look like Mongol, like, I guess the Mongolians or, or Russian-speaking Mongolian, Siberian people who are moving at a f fast pace. And they are shoving things. They have these, like, two pallets. There might have been more, but I believe it was two pallets of stuff on the platform outside the train door. And my room was the first door, if you'd come in, because I came in from the the left side of the, the train car. But if you come in from the right, where these guys were, I had the first first room there. So you just went around the corner and boom, right in there. So I was, there's these guys and, and women just shoving stuff. Like they're taking off the platform, they're putting it in, in the train. And they're sticking it anywhere that, that they can find. They fill up the room, and or it's like half full, and I get there. And one guy could speak a little English, and he said, "Hey, is this your, just your, you know, are you here?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I was like, "Here's my ticket." I see. He's like, "Okay, um, you know, help me." He's like, "Put your, he's like, bag, put down." I was like, "Okay." So I put my bag down, and he's like, "Stand, you know, help." So I was like, "Help what?" And he basically wants me to get in line, and they have this, they've got this little chain gang going on where they're moving stuff out off the platform into the train, around the corner, into the bunk, and just shoving it and stacking it. I was like, all right, whatever, dude. So I just get in the middle of the chain gang, and my job is to take from the left, pass to the right, take from the left, pass to the right. So I'm moving all this stuff, and I'm seeing, like, what's coming in, and, it, and they're just shoving it anywhere that they can along the aisles and in the room. And it's, like, random stuff. I mean, it's, like, wire and cigarettes and uh, whipped cream, like canned whipped cream, you know, and brie cheese and sausages and bottles of liquor and, like, random stuff. So okay, so I'm just like moving, 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 and we're moving really quick. You know, they're getting close to the deadline, and uh, at one point, I remember they handed me this this case of like you know like those whipped cream that you know you see with, like people would do like whippets or something out of, and it's like wrapped in the plastic wrap on top. 
gives it to me and of course one like shoots out of the side because it wasn't packed very well the, the plastic was loose and it falls and there's this there's this is a russian train you can imagine what it might look like on the inside it's not the newest most modern version of, of what they got out right now um particularly because it's about to cross siberia and there's like jagged pieces of metal all over the train and it's it's not something that would be safe to drive probably in in the united states and this whipped cream can which pressurized whipped cream can hits a piece of jagged metal that's like bolted to the floor and just explodes. So there is now whipped cream covering everything. Me, like the walls, the windows of the inside of this train, like, you know, and he just looks at me, he was like, just move. I was like, okay, so we just like let it slide, kept moving stuff. Finally, he, we get it all in the room. There's nowhere for me to like, forget about like sleep, not even a place to sit down. You can barely stand in the room. And he looks at me, he goes, okay, bye-bye. And I'm like, well, where are you going, dude? He's like, I, I'm, he's like, I stay here. I'm like, no, yeah. And then, he, and then I look, and there's just like this one tiny Mongolian lady in my room and some random dudes. He's like, no problem. And then he just takes a piece of brie, like a wheel of brie cheese, who is like, for help, and just hands this to me. I'm like, well, now at least I got some cheese to go with my oranges and vodka, but I don't know what's going to happen next. So train takes off, and you know they don't nobody speaks any english or german the only two languages i know and uh so they just but they're nice you know they're like okay well they're like they look at my ticket they find exactly which bunk mine is because there's four in there and i guess three of them are theirs and one of them is mine and they they clean off my bunk which is on a top thankfully it's always good to have a top bunk on these types of things because then people don't sit all over your shit and then she moves all the stuff she puts it down you know i get to make my bed and i get up in my bunk and that's my home for the next five days. Um, fortunately, uh, I didn't know this, but the train does stop two or three times every day for about five to ten minutes. And so the first day I ate that cheese and uh, had those oranges. But the second day uh, in the morning, I remember we stopped. And every time you stop, there's some random station in the middle of nowhere. Um, and there's these, like, little old Russian ladies you know, with the with the thing around their head and the, like the big coats, because even though it's September, it's not that warm in Russia. Uh, it's not freezing, but you need coats and stuff. And so they're pushing around these like carts right by the door, because this is how they make a living, right? They're selling sausages and and trinkets and and uh, all kinds of stuff, which was great because when I got off the train, I had actually also because I was in I was like pretty much still drunk when I ran out of the hostel that morning when we left Moscow I forgot my toothpaste I forgot toothbrush I mean the whole deal so I'm on this thing for five days and all I had brought was what I had mentioned before plus I had some baby wipes and things I remembered you know from the army days it's good to have some baby wipes around to like clean up if you can't shower so I rushed off the train I bought sausages and cheese and toothpaste and bottles of beer and all this stuff ran back on um, and train took off, and that's basically how I lived for for the whole train ride. Was I'd get off, I'd st- stock up for the next day or two, and and then I would eat that and then read books. So I get to um, Hohut, and then I have to fly over to Dalian. When my first my first uh, job was in Dalian, the Dalian Jiaotong University, the Dalian Transportation University, which uh, is a common thing in China to have a transportation university even though it's something I had never heard of and I taught there for a year uh, I enjoyed the time but it wasn't something that I was totally in love with I really didn't learn much of the language which was totally my fault at the time and I thought well this isn't really for me but it was a great adventure and so a little bit less than a year I think it was around 11 months or so later I decided to 
um, do a little bit of traveling. So I went back to Mongolia and I really saw at that time and I spent a couple of um, weeks there. And then I flew back to the United States and went back to work in, in North Carolina. I went to see some friends and, and, and did some different jobs, some things I didn't really enjoy. And ultimately, I ended up after a couple of years of kind of doing different things that I was looking that thought might be interesting that didn't really turn out. And one day I heard about a program that the Chinese government offered this, uh, I think it's called the Chinese Scholarship Council, the CSC, and they give you a free ride for bachelor's, master's, or PhD at a university of your choosing, if assuming you had the test scores to get into that university, and they cover tuition, books, accommodation, food, uh, pretty much everything but the transportation to get there. And I thought, that's, that's pretty interesting. I, I've kind of thought about getting a master's degree. And well, what was also unique is that you actually, the program, at least all the programs I know of, maybe this has changed since because this was back in 2009 when I heard about it, all of them are taught in the Chinese language. So if you wanted to get a degree in, I'd say, chemistry, you would have to go get that degree in chemistry in the Chinese while speaking Chinese, reading Chinese, writing papers in Chinese. And that was true of all the degree programs that I saw. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. They're going to pay for me to go to school to learn Chinese. They're going to pay for me to get to that, this degree program. I think I really need to investigate this. So I applied. And I was really surprised what I got in. And I didn't get in to just any crappy school. I got into a very good school. And for at least for engineering, the Beijing Institute of Technology, which they considered to be like their MIT. I, I wouldn't really put it in that kind of category. Not that I've ever been to MIT, but um, if that's the way MIT is, um, I don't think we would be producing those kind of engineers out of there. But anyways, it was a good school and I was happy to have the opportunity to go. So I flew over 2010, uh, again, started in September and I started Chinese language classes because I had to do two years of solid, intensive Chinese language classes in order to, um, in order to take my follow-on classes. And I was going to get a degree in science and engineering management, which is kind of like an MBA for engineers. You could think about it that way. At least that's the way I thought about it. If you uh, have that degree and I'm incorrect, I apologize because I actually didn't get the degree. So uh, about halfway into my, uh, well, after my first semester, Sorry, that's not true. I wasn't even through my first semester. I was only a few months in. I think it was in November. Uh, I had a death in the family. So I had to fly back, uh, go handle this. And then I missed quite a bit of class. So I went back to the school and I said, hey, I've missed too much class to, to actually complete, to meet the standard. And I think they were going to let me through because standards aren't the most... Um, sought after things sometimes here in, in China, but I was like, look, if I don't meet the standard, I'm not going to be able to meet the follow-on coursework, and then I'm just going to end up shooting myself in the foot, so I really have to get this language down, or it's not going to work, so I talked them into letting me recycle myself on the following year, so I go back, and I redo the course, and I'm, I'm doing pretty good with that one, but um, this whole time while I'm doing this this course, I had started this software business with some friends of mine in the U.S., and it, it was... It was called Pombai, P-O-M-B-A-I, and what it did was it made, this was, again, this was like pre-Uber and all that stuff, but it was pretty much the same thing, but instead of doing cars, uh, you were getting intercity or interstate 
buses. So you would whip, you know, you'd use this platform to buy a bus ticket between like, let's say Bangkok and Chiang Mai or Beijing and Shanghai or something like that. And it was a back-end tool for the businesses to to digitize all their ticket inventory and, and that kind of thing. But then on the front end, it was a consumer website and an app where you would then buy the ticket directly from the seller, weed out the middlemen, save some money, and, and make it easier to buy your tickets, just like you would buy an airplane ticket today. But at the time, that did not exist. And I don't know if it does now or not in buses uh, in most parts of the world. So this business, anyways, I got invited to pitch it to some VCs in Dublin. So I was like, ah, hell, I'll take them up the opportunity. So I, I flew over to Dublin. I pitched them the idea. And uh, they hated it at first, but it, they grew to love it over time. And eventually, over a few days, they decided they wanted to offer me some money to build this 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 business. And there was this accelerator program in Dublin. It still exists in in, in England, or I'm sorry, in, uh, in Europe. It's called Startup Boot Camp. And I was part of the, I don't think, it wasn't the first class, but I want to say one of the first classes of Startup Boot Camp in 2012 uh, in, in Ireland. So I had to drop out of school, which is a bit of a bummer. But I thought, hey, you know, school I, will always be there. But when some group of venture capitalists offer you money to build a business of your dreams, you should take it. So I dropped out of school, went to Ireland, did that business for a few years. Ultimately, it didn't work out. Uh, we were unable to f- raise some follow-up follow financing, you know, sort of like a round size, million-dollar-plus amounts of money. And so we had to table that, that business, and uh, we grew it to about 11, I think it was 11 or 12 people. Uh, we had, you know, had an office uh, and a team in Lithuania. We had one in Bangkok. Uh, Bay- uh, Bangkok. And, and uh, so when it didn't work out, I thought, well, I'm in Asia already. Uh, I've tried now twice to do something in in China and it just hasn't worked out, but I'm not ready to quit yet. So I just, I knew a lot of people in Beijing because I had been gone only a couple years. So I thought, I'm just going to go to Beijing and, and figure out what there is to do up there. Uh, plus I had worked at a craft brewery part-time in Beijing during that 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 master's program time period. I would work one or two days a week at most, uh, pulling beer, pulling pints at the tap room of this place called Great Leap Brewing, which was uh, really small at the time. I, I don't know. I think there was just the founders and maybe two or three staff um, that were there. And, you know, it was, it was a really great time. I mean, I loved it. I loved the beer. I loved the place. And I thought, well, you know, they're, they're up there. I got some other friends, you know, up there. So I'll just go back up to Beijing and see what happened. So I go there, get a job. Work a little bit at Great Leap off and on, you know, helping out. You know, when the the guys needed someone to wash kegs or someone to pour beers, but it wasn't a a, a full time job. It wasn't even a serious part time job. It was like I'd help out when needed a couple times, and and then I ended up getting a job uh, working for Renmin University, which is a pretty good school, and I did that for a little bit, and thought, I know what I want to do. I've been making beer. I mean, we haven't talked about it, but I've been making beer home brewing in the U.S. since 2008. And my, you know, my friends over here at Great Leap have started this brewery, and not only do they enjoy it, and, and I enjoyed working there, but they seem to be doing quite well at it. Um, and a lot of other guys were popping up too. That they weren't, you know, they weren't the only ones. There was there was Slowboat, there was Jing A, there was In Beer, there was people doing this Panda Brew. 
I thought, I wonder if anybody else is doing it. So I look around, and there's a few. There's not many. You know, you had Boxing Cat in Beijing. You had a couple of guys here and there. But it was a very, very niche market. And I looked around at Shenzhen, which was a city I had never been to. And I'd never been to Hong Kong either, which is, I mean, they're right next to each other. And I thought, there's no beer breweries there. I didn't see any, at least. I mean, I didn't see any online. I mean, I didn't see any on social media. I didn't read any news articles about them. I really couldn't find any in the whole province except for uh, Strand, Dave Strand over at, in Guangzhou. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. Um, let's move. So I, within like, I'd say two, three months, I decided that we're moving. And me and my girlfriend at the time decided to, to come down here and give it a go. And I arrived here April 1st, 2014. And we were open by July 7th. My goal was to be done in 90 days, but wasn't really feasible. I was able to rent some equipment to help shave the, the time off of the brewing, setting up a brewery, and focus on the tap room because, you know, retail sales community is everything when you're starting a brewery and have no money to do it. And for about 15000 bucks, we were able to put in eventually a, a nano brewery and a tap room and uh you know started to open friday saturday then thursday friday saturday sunday and now it's every day a week but that's something we can talk about another time if you want to hear about how and we probably will do an episode i'll do one on how i did it and, and more details if someone wants to follow it along but um i just want to explain how i ended up choosing shenzhen and i'm actually pretty glad i chose shenzhen i mean we have been closed three times by the government and forced to move but the weather's nice. There's beaches. Uh, t- today is December 7th, I believe, and I'm wearing shorts and a tank top, so it's pretty warm outside, which is great. Uh, so, yeah, it's a nice place. I mean, great weather. Um, Guangdong is a very different place. You know, one thing, I've lived in three different cities in China. Uh, two of them are very, very large, Beijing and Shenzhen, and Dalian is reasonably large in China. I mean, at the time, it had about 6 million people. I don't know what it has now. In China, that's not a huge city. It's an okay-sized city. They didn't even have a subway, and they had 6 million people. Uh, and every place is different. There are many provinces, and within the provinces, there are many different regions and cities and languages, and not just dialects, straight-up different languages uh, sometimes. And it's tough to say, you know, this place is like that, because that's what I wanted to figure out was when I heard all these people talk about China all those years ago in, in college and outside in, in the workplace, they seemed to be like, well, this is the way it is. And, and I've learned mm, sort of there are some generalizations you can make, just like you can make generalizations about anybody or any place. But as a place is this large and this diverse it's not so easy to say those people are like this or that place does that. Uh, in certain instances, that is definitely true, but not always. And it's really also tough to understand people until you really can talk to them. And that's my, to this day, my Chinese is not as great as it should be because I never finished the language program that I should have. But what I have learned has been very beneficial in being able to understand more of what's going on 
and figure out how to be. And that, that's why the longer you're here, the more successful you get. I mean, unless you're an idiot, if you, if you pay attention, you figure out what's going on, then you're able to apply those, those, those things you've learned to the, to the future situations and not make the same mistake twice. Now, if I was really smart, if you're really paying attention, look at what other people do. Let them fail, which is very, very Chinese mentality. Don't be first, be second. First guy is always going to have a target on his back and take punches straight to the face. But the second guy, he's probably going to get through just fine. So that's uh, something I've learned since being here and kind of focus on now. So anyways, if you have any questions, like I said Ed, before, email me, joe at bonicbrew.com. Or uh, I don't really spend much time on social media. You can try to find us through our company Facebook uh, account. But I really try to stay off social media as much as possible answer people's phone calls and emails is about it. Um, So have a good day.